the Western point of view is measles is caused by a virus. The Chinese point of view, up until about 1600, they didn't think it, was, it came from outside. They thought it was an internal disease and that the rash was just poisons which were in the body, which needed to come out. So that measles itself was, as it were, a healing crisis in a way. The prime cause was not invasion from outside. The prime cause was this poisons coming out. The danger was, as in any detox process, that if the toxins come out too quickly, it injures the body. And if they come out really, really too quickly, it kills you. Welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio, a podcast sharing stories and wisdom from experts in the fields of holistic wellness and sustainable living. I am your host, Todd Howard, as the show's guests demonstrate, by doing small acts to embrace more mindful living, we can positively impact our communities. Julian Scott is a legend in the field of acupuncture and holds special distinction in pediatrics. He has more than 40 years of practical experience and has authored numerous books, including Acupuncture in the Treatment of Children and Acupuncture for the Eyes. We enjoy an easygoing conversation exploring Julian's path to becoming an influential figure in the spread of acupuncture to the West, along with some of his well-known colleagues. He shares stories of and lessons from multiple mentors from whom he gleaned much of his knowledge and clinical acumen. Julian explains how he was sought out as an expert in both pediatrics and ophthalmology before he considered himself to be worthy of such distinction. We also talk about many other timely topics, such as the impact of vaccinations, childhood anxiety, degenerative conditions, and the stages of aging. Julian shares incredible insights in all these areas. Although now nearing 80, Julian still aspires to help others heal and to educate. His bank of online courses can be found at treatingchildren.com which include many of the topics above, as well as a course on pain-free needling. His teachings have inspired countless, and his heart-centered, humorous personality warms the spirit. Please enjoy this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Julian Scott. Julian, welcome to Pacific Rim College Radio. I'm very glad to be on this. Thank you for asking me. Yeah. Let's just begin with what I know of you, which is you you seem to be an expert in acupuncture and the realm of pediatrics. Uh, Your textbook that you wrote on pediatrics is kind of a mainstay in teaching institutions. I know it's been one of our core pediatric textbooks, definitely had a lot of influence and some of my guests have spoken very highly of you and their experiences mentoring or working with you well it, it's always nice to have nice words hear nice words about oneself <laughs> <laughs> the germans have a word for it it's, it's called bauchpinseln which means the pleasurable sensation of being flattered <laughs> <laughs> i like that that's a very good one <laughs> yes. well let's let's start with that and your let's start with your influence and because you have, I know, inspired so many. How did things begin for you in the field of acupuncture in general, but also with pediatrics? Well, acupuncture in general, um, I I started out as a scientist, a a, a physicist. I got a PhD in physics and worked in research for for a while. And I was feeling, feeling this sort of bit of a dead end job and 
I was in the semiconductor industry at the time, working with Philips. And I just thought, well, I, when it comes to putting something on my tombstone, they're going to say, he made a smaller transistor. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure whether that's really what I, is, was that going to be the sum total of my life? And I thought, so I was feeling a bit sort of gloomy about things and I couldn't see any career prospects in the head. And at the same time, I'd started, uh, I'd taken up with home brewing. It was a craze at the time. You could brew, brew your own beer. And I have to say, if you like beer, um, then the, the beer you can brew at home is like way better than anything you can get out of a bottle. So anyway, I started brewing this stuff and I started drinking a bit too much. And, and the thing about home, home brewed beer is it's got a shelf life. Um, after about six weeks, it starts to go off. So you have to drink it. <laughs> well, you know, otherwise its whole sort of meaning of life has been, been wasted, hasn't it? So, <laughs> so I was drinking, yeah, more than I really should have done. I was getting these strange pains in my legs. Um, and the, the, I went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, it's varicose veins and we'd have those out. And I thought, operation at my age, 29, you know, we don't do that sort of thing in my family. Yeah, if you're sort of, you've got cancer and you're in your 70s, then maybe do it, but not at 29. Anyway, uh, shortly afterwards, uh, uh, a very old friend who remains a very good friend, Vivian Brown, um, who actually became one of the Gang of Four, uh, more of that later, uh, she, she, she happened to call on, uh, on me and she, and she was, she said she was studying acupuncture. And I said, what, studying what? Because remember, I'm a scientist at the time. I think, that would be ridiculous. And then she said, well, you know, it's good for pain. And I said, well, okay, I've got these pains. What is it? You know, said, yeah, good, give me. You know, what about it? And, and she looked at, she looked at it and said, well, that's, um, that's on the liver channel. How much are you drinking? <laughs> Uh, hop! <laughs> <laughs> Busted. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was like the turning moment in my life, I would say. And I thought, wow. oh shit, there's got to be something in it. You know, I've got to find out more about it. Of course, I didn't believe in it, you know, but it's got what's behind it all. And then just one thing led to another, led to another. And, um, and here I am. And uh, I've never looked back. I mean, I still retain an interest in science, but. I've ne I wouldn't, I've never looked back and never, never put for a moment thought of going back. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was at 29 years of age, you say? Yeah, about, about that. So I can't remember exactly. Yeah. But, you know, the Saturn return, as it were, as, <laughs> as people say. So how did you then go from that initial curiosity to actually pursuing a career? Well, at, at that time, you could do uh, those weekend courses that, um, Dr. Van Buren did, um, and, and I took, took his course. Um, and he, 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 wasn't, he wasn't a good um, academic teacher. In fact, I mean, he, he was pretty poor and made lots of people angry, lots of, lots of people angry during this time because of his sort of incompetence as a teacher. Um, and, and I can say that uh, because I've owe so much to him that I can say that these are like minor flaws compared with, with his, his extraordinary 
ability uh, to impart, first of all, a healing ability, and secondly, this burning conviction that, that acupuncture um, and Chinese medicine, but acupuncture in particular, is so incredibly effective. And if you look at the people who've come gone through his school, they're, they're, there's lots of the influential people in the acupuncture field in the early years, they came, they came through his school. They're, most of them pretty fed up with it, him. <laughs> reasons I've said, but they owe much more to him than, than they realize. So there's Peter Dedman, there's, there's Giovanni Machocha, there's, there's Niels von Bello, who is the head of the, the German uh, Acupuncture Society and you know, very influential in Germany. There's Barbara Kirschbaum. Um, and then there's the two people in Norway who set up the Norwegian school. You know, wherever you look, there's, there's, there's uh, and people he taught. And there's um, uh, Johan Tufain, who, uh, and uh, what's his name, P Peter van der Kervel, who carried on his work to do the stems and branches, which not my style of acupuncture, but it, it, it helps a lot of people. You know, all the influential people, a lot of them, I should say, have been through his hands and, and, and built on what he gave them, I would say, and, and built this, this sort of burning conviction that acupuncture is fantastic. So that's how wow. I can say, say these, these uh, slightly negative things about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, I, yeah. what, how did he, or what was the positive that he was able to influence you with? And well, if his it, teaching was poor, how was he able to stro so strongly influence you? Well, well, there's two things. On the, on the didactic side, he, he was in the five element school. That's all there was at that time. Um, it's just something that rubbed off, just sort of being near him and, 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 and watching him, watching him healing people. He, he was, I mean, basically he was an incredible healer. He could do things which nobody else could do. For example, I saw this, this uh, woman, she was 24, 25, and, and she'd been crippled since 17. She, in, when she was 15 years old, she got rheumatoid arthritis. By 17, she was in the wheelchair and she hadn't moved her knee for, for seven years. It's been completely locked up. And I was there when, she, when he actually moved the knee for the first time. Um, it was a very emotional moment for, 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 the, for the woman, as, as you can imagine. And if I were to do it, I'd have to treat this woman every other day for, for years. He just treated her every month. You know, I mean, how did he do it? I, I, I don't know. He had these uh, amazing miracles, uh, which he did. And I like to think you know, some of that rubbed off on me. I, I <laughs> I'm sure it did. What was his background? Where did he develop his um, skills? Well, he, was, um, he wasn't, he was a male nurse, which was quite unusual at the time. But he, he learned about it because he was a prisoner of war. Uh, in, um, in, uh, from the Japanese. He was in a Japanese concentration camp, one of the few who survived. And it left a bit of a scar on him, I, 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 I must say. Um, but one of, the, one of the inmates there um, uh, actually found a piece of copper 
and made some needles out of it and, and, and treated people people there. And he was, and, I, and that, that I understand is what, what, what fired him to, to, to find out more about it. Um, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and then, and then he, he, not quite sure about the early years, but the, he was in with the same group as, as Van Buren, as, um, as Jack Worsley. Um, and they in turn learnt from a, a French homeopath called Lavier, who'd learnt from a French academic. So it's quite a long sort of chain of you might call Chinese whispers, as we call it in English. And so some of the information that got there would have been coloured quite a lot um, by, uh, by the people that had gone through. And that's one of my problems that I have with five element school. They, they talk about um, causative factors, which is so much like the, the, um, the homeopathic view of, of a constitution, a homeopathic constitution, or constitutional miasms. And it isn't really Chinese medicine. And I find that sort of, yeah, okay, it works, but up to a point. Anyway, that's that's to say negative things about somebody else, which is not a, not a good thing to do. Mm. So, so that's how he that basically what he where he started. Yeah. Yeah. So, how did you then take your learnings from him, and where did you go from that? Well, well my next huge influence um, was Dr. John Shen. And you might you might you might have come up in other interviews. Um, he was no, but I was to backtrack a little bit. I'd done a lot of background reading before then. I'd read some of the French books, a bit of Soulier de Mont, and also um, uh, Van Van Guy, the the um, Vietnamese acupuncturist. There's a, there's a great big tome that he wrote about Chinese medicine. And I was studying that and thinking, oh, there's a whole new bit which nobody knows about in England. So I was learning from that all the time. And then, then Dr. Shen came over. He was brought over by a man called Alan Papier, who, who was a, a behind the scenes man, but quite important in the development of acupuncture because he, um, he was an acupuncturist who'd also been through Van Buren's hands um, but he'd also spent a lot of time observing Dr. Shen. And he also had contacts in China, in Hong Kong, I should say. And he brought over a series of speakers talking about different subjects, the first of whom was Dr. Shen. And it was, we were just bowled over by Dr. Shen's uh, diagnostic ability. Um, and that was... I, I sought to emulate him, I have to say. I went over to spend, spend a few days with him in, in Boston. And that was, that was very influential with, with me. What was he, the staple of his diagnostic acumen? Well, he, he came from a very rich family, um, very close to, the, the, to Chiang Kai-shek. Um, and um, 
he, he was the youngest son and was sent into medicine as was as actually the same thing sort of happened in 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 old England as it were in in, in, in traditional England um, but it, they, they lived in Shanghai and at that time Shanghai was the the uh, the medicine capital of, of China. So all the best doctors were there and, and they all had this notice on the door saying, um, don't tell me what's wrong with you. Um, I'll tell you what's wrong with you. If I get it wrong, you don't have to pay. Um, and he thought, well, how am I going to compete with these people? So he, he um, studied and studied and studied. He spent a long time with each patient trying to find out why they had got wrong, and so he developed this this view about uh, about the cause of disease. So he put on his door not only um, I will tell you what's what's wrong with you, I will also tell you why you've got it, um, and uh, and that was his, his skill. And his skill was a combination of of of, of observation and pulse diagnosis and he and he was absolute master of pulse diagnosis um he also used hands uh, palmistry as well looking at looking at the, at the palm um yeah that that is that there's those three things they're looking at the you know the traditional face reading as, as we call it now yes he, he was very good at that um i remember just the first patient that he, he came over and gave a, gave a course, I think it was on headaches at the time, something like that. And, and one of the afternoons he took patients or maybe two, two of them. And the first patient who came along was a woman who said she got uh, very bad periods. And she said for the first two weeks after the period, everything was fine. And, but the next two weeks, she felt absolutely terrible, absolutely frightful. And she had been like that her whole life. And we looked at her and she had these dark rims around her spectacle. We thought, uh, just a nervous, you know, hysterical woman. I'm sorry, I was, this is completely, I was saying about what I was then. It's not my view now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's, she, she was obviously a nervous woman and, and, and she just needed to calm down. But he, absolutely not at all. He said, oh, your problem is when you were, when you were 12, you fell and hit yourself on the side, on the right-hand side here. Um, and, and that's where your problems come from. And she said, yes, I did. I fell on, on a banister and I really hurt myself on the right-hand side. And the next day I had, had bleeding from, from, the, from, the, from my uterus. But it, it, everybody thought it was my first period, but it wasn't. My first period started a, a year later. And it was a year later since I'd had all these problems. And I'd forgotten all about that injury ever wow. since. And we all went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as you can imagine, you know. So that was this sort of sort of magical tricks and the way the way he would do things, just unbelievable. Just do you know where he was able to yeah, yeah, he explained, that, it all. Like, he explained yeah. it all in detail. He said, well, the second part of the period is if the blood is stagnant. If there's blood stagnant, then, then you have this problem. So, so you look for stagnation of blood, and yes, look at the tongue. There's a slight blue dot on the right-hand side. So 
the blue dot said it must have hurt injured herself on the right turn side well that's the liver of course and liver blood you know stagnation it connects with the periods and and since it's happened ever since it started well it probably happened around about 12 years old that's when periods start isn't it what's the problem it's obvious can't you see <laughs> of course when he explains it all and, and I mean, of course, it's ex his experience as well, his enormous old database of patients that's, that's in there. Mm. Um, there was another patient he had, um, which I brought up because I was completely at my wit's end. And he said, uh, um, this patient was tired all the time and, and he looked tired. And uh, I, I didn't really know what was going on. And he took, he took the, the pulse and he said, Oh, you have blood in your semen, don't you? And I said, Yes, how do you know? You know, oh, never mind. And then he's at the top of his voice in front of a hall of like 100, 150 people. You'll now have sex, no sex for six months. <laughs> <laughs> Again, there's a gasp from the audience. <laughs> but it, but but when he said that, the man, this big, a big smile came over the man's face. Oh, that's good. Because <laughs> <laughs> he had a very demanding wife. <laughs> so again, you know, so just as it really just to put his finger on things. And that's, again, in that case, it was the, the pulse, the third position pulse on the left-hand side was, was very strong and it was hollow. You know, hollow means about to bleed or, or tendency to bleed. And, and the, when it's too strong in the third position, it means too much sex usually. And, uh, anyway, so he, he was an enormous inspiration to me to sort of try and find out, you know, what is the cause of disease? Um, and, uh, and it also, I mean, unusually for, the, for a Chinese, still, I would say, so they, they, he actually understood that uh, Western people, white people, are, are really, they're people, they're human beings. Because at that time, and still actually in communist China, that there is this saying that there's three classes of, of beings. There's, there's the Chinese, there's the overseas, the overseas animals, which means us, uh, and and um, animals, so, so we're sort of halfway. We as white people, uh, or, or brown, or not Chinese, I should say, uh, count as, as halfway towards being animals. So, so most of the Chinese at that time just wouldn't consider teaching a, 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 a white person. Um, they it just they'd say, well, what's the point in teaching an animal? And they say only Chinese can can do acupuncture. But he didn't have that view. Had had he, he treated everybody absolutely equal, absolutely equal. You know, the the the, the black, the white, the, the yellow, the brown, or the skin skin color meant nothing. And he could he had this ability also to see through the skin color. Because I was there when he had a a, a man of African descent. A very very sort of black skin and he said oh can't you see he's white he's very he's absolutely white he said because <laughs> he could look as it were through the skin and, and if you or through the pigmentation of the skin and, and it's and, and he taught me that he said no you can look through this pigmentation of the skin 
the little signs that underneath there is the white color. So little little signs which you wouldn't wouldn't normally notice, uh, as it, as it were. Oh, so incredible! I, um, I an enormous amount to him, mm -hmm. um, and of course, yeah, enormous amount. So when did you start to turn this into a career? Um, <clears throat> well, it's pretty much as as soon as I as soon as I was qualified. It's okay. about a year a year after I was qualified. Mm -hmm. So I just had spent that time sort of building up a practice. Uh, and was that in England or elsewhere? That, that was in England. Yes, it was in Brighton. Okay. It was, it was, um, and were there many people at that point in time doing it? Very few. I was, there was one very old acupuncturist okay. um, who treated a few patients. Otherwise, I was the only acupuncturist in, in Brighton at the time. Did you have to educate your your potential customer base on what acupuncture was, or did people know? No, not at all. They didn't know what it was at all. They didn't know. Um, no. A lot of people never really heard of it. And they said, I've, I've been told to come to you because you might be able to help and things like that. So, so it was just word of mouth and... It was just word of mouth, yes. Really? Um, and was, what, were, it, what were some of those experiences or healings that people had which made them such a such advocates for what you were doing did you have any initial like wow that was amazing didn't see that one coming sort of experiences i, I think most practitioners do have those and continue to have those throughout their career because it's, it's, it's amazing but do, yeah. do you have any of those that stood out from the early days that Nothing, nothing that I, I can okay. especially, especially remember. No, yeah, no. just consistently, though, you were impacting people. And so yeah. your clientele I mean, I grew. Through, went through the ups and downs that any new practitioner does. You know, first mm -hmm. of all, first of all, you're absolutely thrilled to get any good results at all. <clears throat> and, and then you're really disappointed that they don't, that they, some of them don't get better. And then, then you sort of level out and. I think it's about after about two or three years of practicing that most people would say, sort of think, okay, it really does work. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Now, let me just finish on, on this, my sort of career aspect. I yeah. was pretty much, I still didn't know much about acupuncture. I, mean, I was learning all the time and learning all the time, studying whatever I could. And then Giovanni um, organized this, uh, this, uh, a trip, a further study trip to China in Nanjing, and uh, quite a number of us uh, went there. It was myself and Peter Dedman and Giovanni and and uh, Vivian Brown and Alan Papi that I was talking about, and Jeremy Ross who wrote one of the early, earlier books, and, and 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 a few others. There was a Cinzia, somebody other who was very influential in, in Italy. Um, and that was that was really what what my wife said. I went out as an amateur and I came back as a professional. And it was it was just wonderful working in the hospital there. You know, the, the, the life there was very very tough because they made life very difficult for us long nosed foreign devils, as as some of them called us. <laughs> <laughs> when we went to on a tour of a village. The, the little boys saying was saying that young guys are young guys are, which means the, um, 
You're a foreign devil, foreign devil. <laughs> well, you must there have you been a, that, quite like, the sight. Like, yes, because they've never seen anybody. You know, they've never yeah. seen a person like that. Yeah. And How so long were you we there? Looked, we looked and, and smelt like ghosts, as far mm. as they were concerned. Um, so it was only a three-month course, but my goodness, was it what a three-month thing. It was just wonderful going to this hospital, which was just dedicated to Chinese medicine. I mean, a huge hospital, left-hand side for herbs, right-hand side for acupuncture. And it was just, you know, nobody said, does it work? They said, how right. quickly can you fix me? You know, was the question. So that was very, very, very influential on me. My particular hospital did research in, in gallstones, in the expulsion of gallstones through uh, through acupuncture. So it wasn't a question of whether it works, it's a question of what are the what are the parameters, what are the limitations to what you can do rather than so yeah, it was just that was very, very, very influential. Yeah. Did they end up landing on a specific protocol for that? Yes, there's a specific protocol, yeah. Um yeah, which I teach my it's it hasn't caught on in the West, but right. Yeah. And at that anyway, time, my, so my third really influential teacher was in that hospital. It, it was um, uh, <clears throat> a, a lady called Jiang Tsai-yun, who, who taught me the needle technique. And she taught me, she, she said, um, many people in China don't come to acupuncture because it's painful. It doesn't need to be painful. Look, this is how you do it, so it isn't painful. And that was terribly important for, 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 my, for what happened later, because it meant that I could treat children more or less pain-free. I mean, it doesn't mean there's no sensation, but it's like more or less pain-free. And that's sort of like the basis of, of one of the, the, the courses that, that I, the, the online courses I give with Kath Berry um, is called The Gentle Needle. So when I try and teach almost anybody who comes near me is likely to be to be subjected to my 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 exhortations to develop their needle technique. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, that's great, and as you said, especially in the practice of pediatrics, exactly, be, yeah. be able to use that without invoking more fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's something that you learn from her. Was that a over a long period of time, or is it a technique that she was able to teach you pretty quickly? And you she were was able, able to... to teach me pretty quickly. I mean, I practiced. I, I, I spent a lot of time practicing and sort of going back to her and saying, you know, how's this doing now? And she just said, oh, yes, keep on practicing, keep mm. on practicing. You'll get there. And then, but I did, yes. Yeah, so, so that was. Mm -hmm. And she just showed me one or two other ways which it can be used and how to direct the chi. You don't need to move it, that you can direct the chi just with the needle. So hmm. anyways, that was uh, important for me. So speaking of the treatment of children, when did that start to become a specialty? Well, well that's happened fairly soon after when my, uh, my eldest son, who was four at the time, <clears throat> four and a half or so, he got measles very badly. Um, you don't see measles now, nothing to do with immunizations, I have to say, but you just don't see measles because the reason for it has disappeared, more or less. But I can talk about that later. <laughs> um, 
and the the uh, he was like he was had a fever of forty degrees centigrade. What's that? One hundred and four in, in in Fahrenheit, I think. Hot somewhere anyway. in that area, yeah. Somewhere in somewhere in that area. He yeah. didn't take his temperature. He was obviously he was completely floppy. He was like a rag doll, extremely hot, covered from head to foot in this livid rash. Um, and I thought, shit, what can I do? You know, there's, there's nothing for it in Western medicine. I take him to the hospital. They, well, that won't help. Um, and so I thought, well, I remember what Van Buren said about, about treating, you know, what you should do when a person has a fever. So I did it and, and, and I treated and I thought, you know, better than nothing. And that was at like 10, 10 in the morning. And I went downstairs, it was, a, it, was a, it was a day of treatment. Went downstairs, treated a few patients. And a couple of hours later, then he was downstairs, you know, saying, hey, Dad, where's my breakfast? <laughs> <laughs> the fever had gone down. I mean, he sweated profusely. The fever had gone down. The rash, instead of being this little livid red, was sort of dull red and was obviously fading. And he was a different person, cheerful as anything. Just wow. And thought, wow. You know. mm -hmm. And... Uh, I wasn't, I didn't really want to treat children at all. You know, I was pretty uptight sort of person at the time and children were just a bit of a nuisance or got in the way and I find it difficult to relate to them. <laughs> but um, things, you know, the fate has a way of teaching you lessons which you don't want to learn. <laughs> but which, which you're very glad you do learn in the end. Yes. And, um, yeah. and uh, so anyway, my wife, of course, she was, she, she took, the, took the children to school at that. Well, we took it in turns, but you know, around her at the school gate, she said, do you know what happened? You know, do you know what happened? Mighty would cured of measles, just like that. And you know, it spread like wildfire. The next to no time, the people ringing me up, you know, saying, well, can you help my child? Can you help my child who's got earaches and this? And so, next to no time I was treating children without really knowing what I was doing very much. Wow. So, you know, then one thing led to another and then I felt I've got it, I've got it. I'd learned a little bit about it in China, um, but I felt I've got to learn more. And so it's, I learned, um, I, I learned some basic Chinese to read, read and speak basic Chinese. And here again, it was one of these things that, 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 that fate sort of sends you the right things when you need it. There was a there was a, um, a person from, from mainland China who'd been sent to England to, to study uh, study computing, and he was very intelligent. He was originally a maths professor in China, and so we had this background of being a maths professor, but also his his father his father. Doctor, his grandfather was a Chinese medicine doctor, so he knew all all the Chinese medical terms and exactly what they meant. Um, and I would have weekly weekly lessons from him in, in return for for a good meal. And, and there's a small amount of payment and a good meal, and he talked about China. So that was just lovely to have this person, you know, he wanted to find out about England and English ways and things like that. Um, 
And he was one of the one of the old Chinese. I've got enormous respect for the old Chinese. The modern Chinese, they've been they've been brutalized by, by communism, and they're not the same people at all of, of that generation. So he's my sort of generation. And he's brought up with it with a sort of a sense of decency and and, and, and so on, which which I'm afraid is, is gone from many of the people in, in China now. Hmm. Um, you can edit that out if you think it's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, we I had a, had a sort of friendship with him, and it, that was very nice. He used to ask me these questions. He used to say, but why? But why you do this? So we'd say, would you, would you pass me the butter, please? And said, yeah, And then the person would say, well, thank you. He says, but why you say thank you? Do you think I wouldn't pass you the butter? <laughs> I said, oh, this is our way. But with all these curious customs, which has been an expression of the family. But why? <laughs> so with the measles and your son and the remembrance of what Van Buren taught you, do you remember what you did, what the, what the treatment was for your son that made such an impact? Well, yes, it was, it was a stomach 36 and large intestine four. Um, okay. And stomach 36 isn't a point that I would use now, but large intestine four certainly is. So. Yeah. So anyway. Wow. I had a patient once who was a, probably a three-year-old girl on her parents brought her to me and I don't think they spoke English and I didn't speak their language and she was covered head to toe in rashes, red, wow. irritable rashes. And I remember doing some, I think I did large intestine 11 and probably liver eight. And that was it because it, she was such a young girl and I don't, I didn't retain the needles either. I just did yeah, yeah, yeah. quick needling in each of the four points. I think it was those four. And uh, the next day, her family came back to see me and she came up and gave me a hug. The rash was gone and she had had it for a long time. It had been something where they almost canceled their vacation that they were on because she she had been bothered by it so much. And it's incredible. I, it's lovely, it, isn't it? It's absolutely lovely, isn't it? Just see Yeah. To be able to do that, and then, it's as so, you it's said, so in your heartwarming because, yeah, you know, and besides the imbalance behind that, it, it would stay for the rest of their life, yeah. So, you change the course of their life, it's just it's so heartwarming, isn't it? Well, and yeah. I recall both of her parents were scared of needles, and so they reluctantly brought her to me. But after her results, they both came in for treatments, <laughs> right? So, yes, yeah. Um, so you started then just kind of organically working with children. They kind of sought you out. Their parents sought you out. Yeah, yeah. And then is that primary, was your practice almost exclusively pediatric based? No, about half and half, half okay. and half. And I gave, gave two, two afternoons a week exclusively for children. Okay. And I was very kindly lent a, a place to practice so, so it could be away from the from my ordinary practice, and, and uh, for 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 a lot for a long time, um, I would offer a very very low cost for children, um, and the other practice. So so to begin with, I said, well look, I don't really know what I'm doing, 
I sort of got up an idea, but I know all the patterns are different and everything's different. So I can't really charge a lot of money. So I just charged a token amount. It was, to begin with, it was a pound, you know, which is equivalent of, equivalent to about, you know, yeah. four or five dollars now because of inflation. But, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, something anybody could afford. Um, and then that also in turn led to setting up the, setting up a, um, a, a non-profit organization, as you call it, or charities, we call it over here, for, for, for a charity clinic for treating children. Um, yeah, that's a, and so, so the, the, it was, it was organized so that, so that um, the, the treatment for children would be available for, for people irrespective of how much they earned. And we had a slight, sort of sliding scale so that the, the rich people paid, paid, you know, paid a reasonable amount, but the people who, who were on, on income support, they put, paid very, very little. Um, and we also had homeopathy and herbal, a homeopath and a herbalist, and another acupuncturist, Tim Martin, and then <clears throat> later on, Stephanie Downey was there. Um, and and it's and it went on for for yeah just it only just closed in the pandemic it, it's it's lasted it lasted my my leaving it in over twenty seven years or so so wow what did you what were some of the greatest lessons that you learned from treating children oh gosh yes Ooh, well. I mean, they, the children. I mean, just great teachers. They teach you all the time. I mean, one one of one of the things about children <clears throat> is you can't hide anything from them. You know, they, they they'll they'll find your weakness. If whatever your weakness is, whatever your you you want to hide, it'll come right out in public. <laughs> <laughs> I find this. What I was spent some time once with a homeopath. And he was a bit of an uptight person. I mean, I was pretty uptight at that time, so I can could say we were sort of brothers in that way. <laughs> a chap called Martin Miles, and he always used to turn up in a pinstripe suit and a tie, very very properly dressed, and and he was a good homeopath, very good homeopath. Um, but he was you know, he's a bit sort of yeah, a bit uptight, you might say, and this this. Uh, a uh, woman came in with, with her son and the son was hid behind the mother's skirt and, and then and then sort of halfway through he popped his head up aside if, if i show you my dick will you show me yours absolutely <laughs> <laughs> bright red i was just put his finger on sort of on the sort of uptightness oh my god <laughs> You just cannot hide from children. Oh. They'll find you out. <laughs> well, about uh, two hours ago, I was sitting outside actually having my breakfast. And one of my sons, uh, a neighbor who was just on vacation visiting, but has befriended my son, came over and she's standing there and she said, I heard your son is lactose intolerant. And I said, well, you could call it that. But I said, Basically, he's just a little bit sensitive to dairy. She looks at me and she says, hmm, that sounds like lactose intolerance to me. 
<laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> and she's yeah. like nine years old. <laughs> yes. <laughs> True point. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's it. I've also been very struck by the the the, the stages in life, and that's something which I I, I care about a lot now, <clears throat> and. Um, the, 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 how, how the, the stages in life of seven and 14 and then then marriage and then menopause and then the 60-year-old transition, all these different transitions, how the opportunities to, to, to learn and to throw out, to, to either to throw out illness or, or, to, or for them to get better. And that's um, really struck me. And it's something that's sort of interesting me now uh, now that I'm in the, in the three and a half age, you might say, because um, that's um, I, I'm, I'm becoming interested in, in Alzheimer's disease and, and, and what you can do for it. And, and you can do an enormous amount, actually. But I think that the origins of Alzheimer's disease are when people go through the 60-year-old transition and don't learn their lesson. Because mm -hmm. at 60-year-olds, when you go through that transition, you need to make a change, a change, not necessarily in what you do, but how you do it, um, or what the emphasis is. So, so as a, as a, I'm getting nearly, nearly 80 now, I've got a different view on life. I'm not so interested in, in just fixing a bad back or fixing a sprained ankle. Of course, of course I'm interested in it. But what really, really interests yeah. me is seeing the person open out, see, 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 see the, the, an uptight person open out and become more, more, more generous, more, more, more loving, more kinder sort, sort of person. See, see that the, the driven, the alpha male who's driven towards his career seem relaxed a little bit and say they'll actually start to take a real interest in his children and, and, and things like that that sort of thing it's the same job as i do and i use the same points and this and it's and often it's through the medium of treating a, a bad back or something like that but that's that's what gives me much more satisfaction now right that, that, than uh, when i was there so that's an example of how i'm still doing the same thing but it's just it's, it's through a slightly different prism as it were slightly different a different emphasis yeah and i think it's very very important that for, for, that people make this transition and if they don't do it then the price is can can be alzheimer's disease hmm. because they're not they're not following really what they what they need to do they're not following something which is more uh, spiritual is not the right word for it because it makes it sound sort of a bit woo woo but more Sounds like more a line with their purpose. More heart sense, yeah. I, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you mentioning that, do you find that there's any sort of similarity in treating elderly who are suffering degenerative conditions that kind of mimic childhood in the sense that as, as people age, often they return to childlike behaviors? Is there any similarities in treating those as there is to treating children? Um, 
Mm, I don't think so. No. Okay. I mean, I mean, I didn't thought that's a good question you sprung on me. My, I, I, <laughs> sorry, I told you I was going to keep things simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in some senses, yes, and okay. I think in in the sense that um, that what children are facing now is is a difficulty in finding out what their their path in life should be. Right. There's all sorts of things conspiring against them. The education system conspires against them. You know, they've got to pass this exam. They've got to tick this box, tick that box. Their parents want them to achieve, get a good job. And, and they're appalled at the thought of them being an artist or a musician or, 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 or whatever. Um, and it's difficult for them to, to, to follow that in the face of the of the pressures today yeah and, and there's and there's social pressures and the the, the time they spend on media but also it, it's one of the side effects of immunizations because immunizations clog up the system and and they you they 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 um they they miss the heart they leave behind the pattern which misses the heart and so they lose a bit of connection with their hearts. So when they come to 16-year-olds, when they should be thinking, this is what I want to do, stuff you parents, I'm going to do this. You know, you want me to do this? No, I'm not doing it. Well, I'll do it for a bit to, to please you, but this is what I need to do in life. Um, and it's much harder for them to hear this. Right. And, and so you see the same thing with, with, with the degenerative diseases it's because they're not listening to what they should be doing in, in, in the last, last period of their life. I mean, it's not, you don't have to do anything sort of very, very grand. It can be just babysitting the children, babysitting the grandchildren, I mean. You know, yeah. it's just allowing this love to flow between you and the children. If, that's, if you can allow that to happen, then... Then that's if that's what that they should be doing. That's what they right. should be doing. That's that's great. Yeah. Well, the childhood teenage anxiety is something that Rebecca Avern and I spoke about quite a bit in the interview right. I did with her, yeah. and how it's just it, it is really a pandemic right now among absolute our pandemic. youth. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I would absolutely agree. Yes, and and sadly, it seems that we are fueling that pandemic more than anything with yeah. what's going on in the world right now. And it's, it's, it's awful to see. And it is leaving a lot of the youth very uncertain about who they are and what their purpose is in life. And I think yeah. that's going to have yeah. very long lasting ramifications. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's wonder- wonderful the work that Rebecca's doing because yeah. I'm not very good on teenagers, but the, Right, uh, but she she's she's wonderful. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. So with the immunizations, and earlier you brought up measles, and you said you would maybe touch on that later. What what is your experience with with that? Well, measles. The Western point of view is measles is caused by a virus, but um, the Chinese point of view, up until about sixteen hundred. They, they didn't think it was it came from outside. They thought it was an internal disease, and that the rash was 
just poisons which were in the body, which needed to come out. So that measles itself was, as it were, a healing crisis in a way. And yes, there was obviously an epidemic, you know, it went through, went in waves in the society, but that the prime cause was not invasion from outside, a big baddie which is coming to get you, as it were. It, it, the, the prime cause was this poisons coming out and you, the danger was, as in any detox process, that if the toxins come out too quickly, it, 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 it injures the body. If they come out really, really too quickly, it kills you. you know, bad luck. But I mean, that's, that's true of, of any detox process. If you go too fast, people have the most terrible side effects of, of, from it. Right. Um, and so, so that's where the dangers come. come. And then you ask, well, what is this poison? Well, they say the poisons arise because you spent uh, 10 months in the womb, you know, the 10 Chinese months in the womb. Um, and there's no way of getting rid of the, the poisons which accumulate. You can't shit and piss at that time. So the, the poisons accumulate. Um, <clears throat> it's this poison which comes out. But there's, that's rather uh, a simplistic way of putting it. What it is really is that that it's connected to it's connected to the childhood behaviour, the child's childhood behaviour at one year old, they grab they grab food. This is mine. What's mine's mine, and what's yours is mine too, and and that's appropriate for for six months or a year year old, because that's a survival instinct in in the, in the poor, you know if, if there's food scarcity, the child who grabs, that's the one who survives. And it's a very, very appropriate behavior. Um, but it's not appropriate behavior for a five-year-old. Five-year-olds need to share and, and get on with the other people. So there's this, you have to make this transition between being extremely selfish to learning to share. And that's what the measles disease is about. If it, if it all happens at once in one great big hoosh, that then, then it all comes out suddenly. But what happens in the West now, there's so much food that uh, you can share. If you, don't like, if you don't like potatoes, you can have, you can have fish sticks. You know, if you don't like fish sticks, you can, you can have, have avocado. If you don't like avocado, you can have an orange. If you don't like orange, you have some bread. If you don't like bread, you have some some cheese. If you're lactose intolerant, you can have have some goat's cheese. You know, there's, there's so much there. It isn't just this is your portion. If you don't like it, you're finished. You're dead. So, so you can share. And again, with the toys, when I was young, I was very lucky to have some toys. My toys were one kettle which had a hole in it, so my parents didn't want it any longer. One lorry which which had lost its wheels <laughs> and one fluffy uh, fluffy bear thing which i just adored those are my toys and i thought i was very lucky to have them yes but nowadays they, the children are surrounded by toys all the time it's easy for them to share and so it's easy for them to learn to share slowly 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 and actually you will see in most children you'll see rash, tiny little rashes coming out from time to time, from time to time. Tiny little 
like pinhead rashes, which most people don't notice, but I notice because I'm on the lookout for it. And, and this is actually the same poison as, as in measles coming out just, to, just sort of drop by drop rather than one, one great, big, great big flow. And so that's why measles itself, it just doesn't present any dangers any longer and why people hardly even get a fever even when they do get measles. Um, so is the immunization then in your point of view harmful? If I can put you on the spot. Um, the, the, it's definitely harmful. The dangers are very much that it, um, that it can produce, can give rise to autism. Mm -hmm. and, and it gives rise to autism in the children where there's been a difficult birth and the stagnation of chi in the head. So when you give, when they get measles, but also when they get the immunization, it releases all this poison um, in, in the head. I mean, that's in the Western view, it's the, it's the virus which causes the poison. The Chinese view is, no, the poison's there, it just comes out. Um, and in, in you could, apparently you can, you can see the brain waves change for at least, at least two weeks after the, the rash has, has disappeared. So it's, it very much changes when you've got a rash. But if there's stagnation of chi in the head, then there's, there isn't flow, enough flow for this to come out, um, to come out smoothly. And also giving them the immunization means it suddenly comes out like that, much more than the child can handle. And it's in the brain and it causes this brain problem and then leaves behind this sort of poison and inflammation in the brain itself. Hmm. At least that's, that's how, how I see it. Yeah. And as so many so many children I've seen, where, where the autism started, you know, just straight away after the measles, just yeah. absolutely straight away after the immunization. After the immunization, I yeah, mean, yes. And you mentioned earlier that the Chinese don't see the measles as being a viral condition yeah. or an external pathogen. Is that still the case that it's not viewed as an external pathogen? Well, of course, they've been influenced by Western right. thought. Okay. Um, but traditionally, um, it was not. Traditionally, it was not. Yeah. And there was, uh, I can't remember his name, but there's a German doctor who put for, I believe it was a German doctor, a scientist who not a couple of years ago put out a, a challenge with a big cash prize for the first person to demonstrate absolute proof that the measles virus exists. I think it was like 100,000 euros. No one could. And it ended, up, right? it ended up going to the, the Supreme Court in Germany, I believe, because someone had, had challenged saying, no, no, I've, I've discovered the proof. But it, it got um, in the Supreme Court, I think it, it ended up being turned down. That in none of the literature that exists, is there a, has there ever been proof that there's a measles virus? <laughs> but I realize these are very, very controversial topics, especially in the age today of mass immunizations yes. yeah yeah absolutely and that's a whole nother rabbit hole we could go down for sure yeah yeah you mentioned earlier the gang of four yes what is that after the, the we went to china the three months visit to china with <clears throat> giovanni and peter deadman amongst others and and vivian brown uh, um 
but particularly under under Giovanni's influence, we said, well, we've got all this inf information because we had a lot of lot of teaching then. Um, let's give a course. Let's let's show because everybody else in England at the time was practicing five elements, um, and we said, well, look, let's let's show them what Chinese medicine really is. So we set up a course uh, that the four of us. Um, te teaching Chinese, teaching the Chinese medicine as it was as it was taught then. Um, basically, the the, the the communist program, as as it were. Hmm. And and because we were four, and it was the time of, you know, it was shortly after Chairman Mao died, we were known as known as the, the Gang of Four. And that was, I think, that was quite influence, influential in spreading Chinese medicine, certainly throughout Europe. And I think I think also in, in stimulating it in, in in the United States as well. Yeah, yeah. So pediatrics has been a large focus. You wrote acupuncture and the treatment of children. Is that what the title is? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, which again is a very pivotal book. You also have specialized in treatment of the eyes. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Can you tell us a yeah. bit about that? Um, it's always been an interest of mine. Um, it started again with the same, the same son who had the measles, who had had a, had, a, had, had a crossed eyes, and we sought cures here, there, and everywhere for it. Um, and so that's that's that was, that was the first interest. But also it connects in with my physics background. I was always interested in, in optics and. And, and, and the eye from 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 those from those early days, um, yeah. And it's just been a sort of slow, a slow interest. And then um, when I was in China, I said I was interested in eyes. And so my, my teacher there, Jiang, uh, Dr. Jiang, she she uh, gave me a, a book about treating the, the Chinese medicine and eye diseases. So I started translating that as well after I'd, after I'd done the children's book. And that gave rise to the um, acupuncture and the treatment of eyes. Um, and if you look at it, it's, it's, it's just, it's a very basic book with some the syndromes in it. And, um, but immediately, because I published it, people said, well, you're the expert in eyes. And I said, no, I'm not the expert. I don't, this is, this is just a place to start. I don't know anything about these things. But because of that, people started sending me all these patients. <clears throat> so I built more and more experience. And, and one of the things that I meant to do in the pandemic, when, when we were supposed to have a lot of time on one's hands, was to actually write the next edition of it, which is like a much expanded edition. You know. But as the saying goes, ask if you want something done, ask a busy man. Not, 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 and I wasn't busy. So not the idle man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyway, I'm sort of trying to get myself to focus on on on, uh, on writing it, and it's got, I've got one or two chapters all brought up today. Right. It's actually such a big subject that it sort of feels I need to write something not as big as acupuncture in the treatment of children, but quite a lot. There's quite a lot to say about it. Because mm -hmm. the Chinese, you know, the Chinese books, they just say, well, these are the syndromes, these are the points, get on and do it. But of course, the reality of what, you know, of life in the West and the, yeah. does it, 
you know, is it going to work and what, what have they got to give up and uh, you know and the life staring at computer screens is not the same as same as as a as a farmer is you know just plowing the field with his bullock in, in front of him mm-hmm. it's a very different life that they've got um so anyway that it hasn't it hasn't happened the next edition but I've, I've learned a lot more and i've been <laughs> very, very, very interested in it yeah. well as you said you're nearing 80 uh your legacy definitely is different than just building a smaller transistor you've you've had quite an impact so i think you can you can probably continue to rest if that's what you choose to do i don't think anyone will fault you for that yeah but but if you do bring out a new book i'm sure the world will greatly benefit from that Hmm. outside of your writing or is there anything right now that you as far as professionally and career wise is anything you want to draw some attention to that you're doing? I know on your website, well, you have I, I a, a, a lot of courses. A, I wrote a small book about uh, autism, acupuncture and autism. Yeah. Um, and yes, I do um, online courses in treating children with Kat, Kat Berry. Okay. It's called, oh gosh, treatingchildren.com, something like that. It is treating, yes, treatingchildren.com. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, and so, with so the, with the autism and acupuncture book, are you have you had good results in treating it? Obviously, I presume you have to I mean, write a book on it. I mean, quite quite good. It's variable results. It it, it depends. It's a lot depends on on the uh, a lot depends on 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 the parents whether they can yeah. do support the treatment. Uh, you know, the commitment to to what they have to do. Right. Um, it, it's getting more difficult because it's not just one immunization they have now. Your average child in, in, in the UK now has 36 immunizations in the first year of life. Wow. Um, and it's just the, the effect it has on the nervous system and on the brain. Yes. You know, it it's just gets harder and harder as they, the more and more things they add in. Right. Um, the, the harder it becomes to, to, to cure. And as we've experienced, it's become so controversial that it's a very hard topic to even talk about. And yeah. so educating people about it has become yeah. very fringe or taboo. So, yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't talk about it, you know, except in this environment here, because I don't want to be labeled as an anti vaxxer, which means you're. So basically, you're an enemy of the people if you're that. <laughs> but but in my opinion, the vaccines don't work at all. They do. They certainly do more harm than good. Yeah. Measles disappeared as a disease before before the the vaccine had been introduced. Um, as have most other anyway, vaccines. I will keep quiet because, as, as I say, I, I don't want to be labeled as anti-vaxxer because because of the political implication i do want to be labeled as a as a pro life a pro a pro energy a pro children yeah a pro acupuncture <laughs> person well julian where can people learn more about you and access your work or or anything else and you mentioned treatingchildren.com is that the main website for people to go that's to the now? main website yeah, yeah okay 
in there. As you said, there's some online coursework. Yeah. And you also have all of your textbooks that are there. Are they for sale there or just links for people to? Um, Maybe they're, they're just listed. They're not for sale there. No, just listed. No. Okay. Yeah. Great. And do you want to give a, a little bit of information about the course or courses? Well, the course, it's an online course. It's, it's, it's based, it's, it's to give you, give a person sort of quite a comprehensive introduction to, to treating children. Um, so at the end of the course, they should be able to treat kind of the, the common diseases of, of, of chronic cough and asthma and vomiting and diarrhea and, and, and insomnia, well, all, all the sort of common things that, 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 that children get. Okay. Um, and there's also included in the course is, is, is the needle technique, but obviously there's no practical session right. involved in that. Um, that's a shortcoming of it, but at least it points the way. Um, and we also talk a little bit about laser treatment. So if you can't, if you some patients they just don't do needles, and yes, and you've got to use got to use something else and, uh, for these for these children. So so it, it covers it covers it's pretty comprehensive in that way. Great. It's just lacking in practical, of course. Yeah. Um, Excellent. Again, that's at treatingchildren.com. And from what I can see, there's a lot of amazing information and courses there for people to, yeah. to look through. Very good. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to meet with me today. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> me too. Yes. Getting to know you a bit more and, and learning more about your work. So thank you for doing that. And thank you for your nearly five decades of contribution to the field of, mm. of acupuncture and Chinese medicine. I know you've really changed a lot of lives. Well, it's, it's, it's very heartwarming to think that the people who are practicing acupuncture, it's, it's, very, it's very, very nice. I'm still absolutely devoted to acupuncture. And still, one of the things I feel is I've, I'm almost ready to start practicing now. <laughs> 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 I sort of more or less got the hang of it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll send people a year away now. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay. And it it's it, nice to, very nice talking to you, Dr. Yeah, yeah, you also. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pacific Rim College Radio with Julian Scott. To learn more about Julian, visit treatingchildren.com and read through some of his amazing texts, a number of which can be found in the Pacific Rim College Bookstore. If you feel drawn to the study of Chinese medicine, the School of Acupuncture and Chinese Medicine at Pacific Rim College offers world-renowned multi-year programs, including world's first study options combining acupuncture with Western herbal medicine and holistic nutrition. Visit pacificrimcollege.com to learn more. Also, don't forget to check out our online education in Chinese medicine by exploring the amazing course offerings at pacificrimcollege.online, including many courses featuring other guests of this podcast. Sign up for our newsletter to receive special offers on our newest releases. If you are interested in receiving clinical services in holistic nutrition, herbal medicine, and acupuncture in Chinese medicine, the student clinic at PRC provides more than 7,000 annual treatments. Live holistic nutrition and herbal medicine consultations are both available online, while acupuncture and Chinese medicine treatments can be had at our Victoria campus. Free treatment options are available in all areas. 
Visit the student clinic at pacificrimcollege.com for more information and to book your appointment. If you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends and family and give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you're using. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, age gracefully by aging mindfully.